Hi there, and welcome to Inside Intercom. I'm Liam Geraghty. On today's show, we're joined by Leslie O'Flahaven, an experienced, versatile writing instructor who specializes in effective writing that gets straight to the point. Owner of eWrite, Leslie leads customized writing courses for Fortune 500 companies, government agencies, and nonprofit organizations. Leslie is also a LinkedIn learning author of six courses on topics like writing for social media and live chat and text. In this episode, we're chatting all things customer messaging and engagement. Leslie shares her brilliant insights into writing in plain, clear language, how to really engage your customers through chat and text, and how you can make your brand voice shine through in writing. Without further ado, let's head over to the studio. Leslie, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Just before we kick off, could you tell me a little bit about your background and how you started teaching people about writing? Well, that's a great story. Sometimes I would begin, I was born in a cabin in the woods on a snowy (laughs) winter's evening. But truly, I have always been a writing teacher. That's always been my profession. And I started as a high school English teacher, which is a job I dearly loved and did for about nine years. I became a college writing instructor and a freelance writer. And in 1996, I was teaching day-long writing workshops in government agencies because I'm based in Washington, D.C., and they're an employer in the neighborhood. And I started to say to myself, this email thing is really going to change the way people right at work. And that was the birth of the idea for eWrite, my company, a writing training consultancy that helps people learn to write well at work. So you are the absolute perfect person to talk to then about effective customer messaging and engagement. But one thing I wanted to actually start with was messaging that's not effective, the kind of fails and blunders of written communication, because there are many ways to get it wrong, aren't there? Yes, indeed. And let's keep it negative, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Well, would you like me to speak about some of the ways we get it wrong? Yes, indeed. In customer service, being specific to the writing we do in customer service, in email especially, we often fail to prove to the customer when we write our response that we read their incoming complaint or inquiry carefully. So we respond too quickly, we omit specific details about what made them unhappy or what they needed help with. And when they receive our response, they think, well, you could have sent this to anyone. Do you see me at all? Do you know who you're writing Mm. to? In live chat, I think we sometimes blunder when we fail to manage the delays in live chat that are natural to providing service in that channel. For example, sometimes the customer has to step away from the chat to retrieve information. They need to have a successful chat or Mm. sometimes the customer service agent has to do quite a long or detailed investigation into the customer's account. So managing those delays, that's a writing skill unique to chat. And sometimes we don't do that well enough. Can you give me a minute may not be all all that's called for. (laughs) Is there one that really gets to you, you know, one sentence that you kind of see quite a lot that you just kind of can't stand reading in messages to customers? Yes. We regret any inconvenience this may have caused. (laughs) 
Oh, that's a doozy. I hate that one the most. Well, what, is, well, what is it about it? Well, it's passive aggressive. Any inconvenience this may have caused, well, in fact, it caused heartbreak, hassle, suffering, loss of money, et cetera. It wasn't, there's no question that the company has done something that harmed the customer's well-being in some way. So any inconvenience is passive aggressive. Inconvenience is a euphemism for any type of difficulty. So if we have sent a customer an invoice twice and the billing account therefore is incorrect and we say we regret any inconvenience this may have caused, well, it's more than an inconvenience. It's a, mm. an error and maybe has cost me double payment. We, you don't, you know, you must, you must acknowledge that. And I also dislike that sentence a lot because knowing how to apologize sincerely and knowing how to express empathy sincerely, this is the way mediocre customer service differs from mm. excellent customer service. And if we feed our customer service agents this drab, insincere, passive-aggressive sentence, and they use it, well, it, it's just a failure multiplier. And so in order to kind of avoid these kinds of mistakes from the get-go, should people go about developing a messaging strategy? Like, what would that involve? Do you mean what would it involve to replace the sentence I just gave you? We regret any inconvenience this may have caused? Sure. Well, I, I suppose in general, but actually it would be great to hear kind of how you would kind of just change that particular sentence. Well, I would love to tell you how to change that sentence. First, we choose I or we to start the sentence. If the company has made a mistake, go ahead and use the pronoun we. If the, the customer service agent individually has made a mistake, then use the pronoun I. And, and you know, this simple switch of words, we to I, you and I know that is, it's built upon a lot of trust for your frontline agents. If you let them in, or encourage them to write in first person singular. That means that if they have to apologize to a customer, they won't themselves suffer dire punishment from management. So I regret, and now we use a specific noun instead of a general one. Inconvenience is general. I regret the delay, or I apologize for the shipping delay. This billing error has caused. You hear mm. all along the way, I swapped in specific words, mm -hmm. and now we have a sincere apology. And to go back to the question about strategy you asked me earlier, the exercise I've just gone through in revising that sad little sentence, this, is, <laughs> uh, this revision is built upon a few assumptions that are part of a good strategy. Number one, we train our frontline customer service agents well enough that we can trust them to communicate candidly with customers. That's the first thing. Training, writing training for frontline agents. We cannot expect them to have these skills intact because the way we serve customers is changing so quickly that frontline agents are forever having to acquire new writing skills. Second, we provide templates or macros or knowledge articles, whatever you want to call them, form letters. We have them on hand. But third, we expect 
our frontline customer service agents to customize them. It's not a matter of whether, you know, if the backlog is terrible, just use the template. Mm. No, we expect them to customize. And this is a very high level writing skill. And if they're going to do it successfully, we have to train and support them. And and speaking of training, um, you have a fantastic course on LinkedIn learning about the importance of plain language. What advice could you give for people who aspire to write more clearly and correctly? Because I think it's, I certainly think it's harder than you would think it is, but maybe I'm wrong. No, you're right. (laughs) You're not the least bit wrong. It is harder than you think it is. And I believe avidly in plain language. It's the communication movement I'm aligned with and have been for my entire career. So I think plain language often is condemned by the word plain. So I just want to explain a little bit about what plain language is. It's a communication Mm. philosophy or a writing approach that says the measure of the merit of what you've written is in the reader's ability to use it. So that's the relation we Ah. set up. Can my reader use it? Not have I written plainly? Are my, do I use one syllable words instead of three? Am I writing in short sentences of nine words instead of long sentences of 29 words? Those are all choices. Yes, we could make those choices. But if you subscribe to the philosophy, you believe I am the writer I will adjust what I am writing so that I can be quite certain my reader can understand and use it. That's the philosophy. And it is hard. You have to know your reader. You have to, and if you don't, if you have multiple readers, you have to find out what different readers need and how perhaps to prepare one communication that meets the needs of different readers. So it is hard, but it is worthwhile and it is a matter of respect for the reader. Yeah, 100%. I suppose following on from that, I was wondering how you think the world of customer messaging has adapted to a more modern kind of conversational tone. And an example that kind of comes to mind or a a quote that comes to mind is, is the English actor and broadcaster Stephen Fry saying, for me, it's a cause of some upset that more Anglophones don't enjoy language. And he kind of goes on to talk about the kind of pedantry some people have when it comes to the rules of language and writing and grammar and the whole shebang. So I'm just wondering what, you know, how well you think we've kind of adapted to that within customer messaging. Well, I think we have done quite well in some channels because the pressure to sound natural in those channels is very high. So can you imagine if we started a text message to a customer to whom it may concern, right? We regret any inconvenience this may have caused. The expectation when customers are using a channel to receive customer service that they mostly use to communicate in their personal lives, namely text, you just look like the world's hugest dork if you write (laughs) in too formal a style in text Mm. message. And I think I think there are some natural safeguards in place. You know, just like you don't use four-letter swear words when you're with your grandmother, you know, you have the the, the brakes on. You mm. you most companies don't communicate in an overly formal style in the channels people use to communicate uh, in their personal lives, in social media, in text. We slip and kind of lose our love of language and our 
capacity to be natural in the channels people are less likely to use in their personal lives, namely postal mail or email and more and more email. Email's getting dusty. <laughs> so <laughs> yes, I, I love that quote. And I'm always here for a, quoting <laughs> someone who loves language while we talk about language. <laughs> and I suppose when it comes to engaging customers through chat and text, could you share some tips on the best way to actually do that? Yes, we must always exploit the real-time engagement in live chat or in text to use the strategy of probing, of question asking. The, the way we suffer when we must deliver customer service in email is that we it's just not a good practice to cause a lot of back and forths in the email. We strive to respond once first contact resolution in email. But in live chat, where we are there live with the customer or in text messaging, which is often close to live or synchronous, we should mm. we should have a conversation, a written conversation. I have a corny saying I love to use, if phone and email had a baby, they would call it chat. That's my new country song. If phone <laughs> and email had a baby, they would call it chat. But let's let's use what we what phone offers, this opportunity to go back and forth, to ask probing questions, to check for understanding, for the customer's understanding and our own, let's use those offerings when we write in these other channels. What about emoji and abbreviations? I know here at Intercom, we absolutely love using emoji everywhere, but what are your thoughts on kind of when we should be using those? We should always be using those when they're part of our brand. So some Brands rely on emoji a lot in their marketing and customers will expect that kind of somewhat lighter, somewhat more modern style. So if emoji are part of our marketing brand, they should be part of our customer service brand. This is a through line we always want to create. We don't want the customer to have kind of an upbeat, playful experience with us when we're marketing to them and a drab you know, bureaucratic experience when they communicate with us when they need help. So if emoji are part of our brand, they should be there in our customer service interaction. But there's a strict rule about using emoji when you're solving a customer's problem in writing or when you're responding to a complaint or even a compliment. And here's my strict rule. The emoji must embellish the communication, not be part of the meaning of the communication. So in our lives, in our personal lives, we sometimes use emoji to replace words entirely. And the better we know the person we're communicating with, the more solid their interpretation is of what that emoji means. So if you text your mom and say, I had a cold on Thursday again, and she gives you a thumbs up, that could seem absolutely idiotic to an outsider. <laughs> but if mm. you know that you recover quickly from colds and your mom knows that too, the thumbs up is like, go ahead, honey, you'll feel better soon. The emoji mm. is carrying content in that conversation. In customer service, the emoji must never carry content. It's just embellishment. It looks fun, but it doesn't replace words. And is it the same for abbreviations? Depends on what the customer has demonstrated 
about understanding those abbreviations. And I'll give an example from airlines. I've worked with lots of airlines. And you know, airlines in their own communications refer to airports by three-letter codes. And sometimes they really need the airport's abbreviation because a city like the one I live in has three nearby airports and you can't write the Washington DC airport because there are three so near. So if the customer has used the airport code correctly, then you can respond using the airport code also. You can assume, because the customers demonstrated knowledge of the airport codes, that they understand them. If they have not, you should not, because more than life itself, we don't want our (laughs) use of abbreviation to cause another contact. (laughs) (laughs) And I I suppose kind of like, you know, you mentioned there a little bit about kind of responding to the customer's needs. And I'm wondering kind of how important it is to recognize, you know, the the level of formality a customer is coming to you with and and responding back to that, you, you know, on the same level. Indeed, this is a matter of respect. This mirroring of formality is a matter of respect. But for people who communicate with customers, there's more than one pressure in, in setting the tone. First, if we expect frontline customer service agents to write in the company's brand voice and the customer is communicating in a brand voice that's very different. For example, uh, let's say you work for a playful brand and you greet customers saying, hi, Liam, that's your greeting in email. And mm-hmm. the customer is furious and has emailed in saying, to whom this may concern. So now we have a conflict. What does the customer service agent do? Does does the person use the company's brand voice because that's what the training has been and that's what the (laughs) manager expects? Or does the company notice what the customer's tone is and try to become a little bit more formal, maybe a little more official because the customer is using such a tone? So these these choices are subtle and customer service agents are extremely well-versed and competent at, at making these slight shifts in tone when they talk on the phone. And we, we do this all the time in our personal interactions. We, we notice the other person's tone and we adjust. So these same skills are possible to teach and to learn for writing. I would say we always acknowledge the customer's tone in the greeting and closing, in the body of the email, we may use more of our organization's brand voice. If those two are not quite close, we may just saturate the opening, the closing, the apology if necessary, the empathy with the customer's tone. Mm. And then when we're solving the problem, we may use our company's brand voice. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. 
The world we care about is customer service, and it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right? And see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. So let's chat a little bit about companies, brand voice. We actually had our brand studio team on the show not too long ago where they explained Intercom's voice and tone and the importance of it. And what is brand voice to you and how can you make it shine through in writing? Well, brand voice is the way a company's brand personality, which is shaped by logo and color palette and, uh, icons of different types or mascots, et cetera, these kinds of things. <laughs> it's the way the company's brand personalities is expressed in writing. And the nimbleness that it takes people inside the company or their marketing agencies, their advertising agencies, the nimbleness that it takes to write in a company's brand voice is a very high level writing skill. So while I'm somewhat interested in this, I'm, I'm a writing teacher. So I'm curious about a person's capacity to write in their organization's brand voice. I really care about how we help frontline customer service agents understand what their company's brand voice is, mm. what the encouraged words, terms, phrases, tone, relationship to the customer is as it's expressed in writing and how we help them do this hard thing, which is to write in a, a voice other than their own, their own personal voice, or other than the kind of dry, judgy, bureaucratic mm. workplace brand voice. So there's so such a large gap between the conversations companies have around brand and brand voice in marketing, advertising, and comms, very huge gap between the ones that are happening in customer care. They're, they're, I, I cannot tell you how many times I am telling the director of customer care, my client, yeah, I think your company probably does have a brand voice guide. Maybe you could ask the people in marketing if they could share it with you. It's not a joke. They don't even know that the brand voice has been defined in a document. Wow. They, they're unaware because there's kind of an upstairs, downstairs quality to the work right. we're talking about. And if you're paid hourly and if you're possibly less likely to hold your customer service job after the holiday season has passed because the company doesn't need you anymore. Why are they handing you the brand voice guide? You know, but they should be, they absolutely should be. So I believe that most people who work for companies can be coached to use the brand voice in the way that their job calls upon them to use it. Mm -hmm. And it requires coaching and it requires collaboration between parts of the company that may not have good patterns of collaboration. Just before we finish up, Leslie, where did your love of language come from in the first place? 
What a lovely <laughs> question. Thank you for asking me that. You know, I loved to read when I was a little kid and have loved to read all along. When I was an undergraduate, I thought I would become a writer. And when it came time to finalize my college major and I realized I wanted to be a writing teacher, I had that sought after feeling that I had slipped into the role that matched my gifts and my loves. So I don't, I, I think my childhood beginnings as a writer and reader were just, you know, golden, really. My family were writers and readers. My teachers <laughs> supported me, but it was a lucky match between my loves and my work that has led me here. That's fantastic. That's wonderful. So at this point, I suppose we always ask kind of what's next, you know, if you've any kind of projects coming up or any plans coming up. Well, this has been a year of uh, standing on the deck of a rocking ship and hoping not to be thrown into the water. My business is (laughs) thriving, absolutely thriving. So there's one area where I'm doing more work and I'm quite curious about this. And that is helping uh, companies who have deployed chatbots do a better job of this. Because I think oh. the customer experience is l- lousy with chatbots. If you interact with 20 of them, you'll have a good experience with one and the other 19 are absolutely lousy. And part of the reason is the chatbot is drawing on content in the knowledge base or the FAQs and that information is poor. So I'm very excited to be thinking more about the knowledge collections that humans have created and humans use. And now that machines are using them, the communication flaws in the knowledge collection are magnified. So that's something I'm really curious about. Brilliant. Um, And lastly, where can listeners go to keep up with you and your work? Well, they can always find me online at eWriteOnline.com. That's my web address. You can follow me on Twitter at I'm at Leslie O. Uh, not Leslie Zero, Leslie O. <laughs> <laughs> and I have, I, I'm really enjoying LinkedIn now, um, publishing great content and sharing great content. So if you want to follow me there, I would like that too. I should say you have some fantastic courses up on LinkedIn. So Leslie, thank you so much for joining us today. It's absolutely been my pleasure. Thank you for interviewing me like a friend. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Leslie O'Flahaven. If you did, we'd love you to give us a review. It's the perfect opportunity for you to test out some of that plain, clear language we were just talking about. If you don't already follow us on your preferred podcast platform, please do, and you'll never miss a new episode of Inside Intercom. We also have another podcast called Intercom on Product, where Intercom co-founder Des Trainer and Intercom SVP of Product Paul Adams discuss their latest thoughts on how to build successful product at scale. We have new episodes of that coming very soon, so make sure to follow Intercom on Product as well. Okay, that's it for today. We'll be back next week with another great episode. We do hope you'll join us. This is Inside Intercom.